The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. From Matthew chapter 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Morning, Acts Church. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that you speak. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not exactly sure how I have survived uh, my childhood. And I don't mean like my dysfunctional family and they were loving and great, but all kinds of dysfunction. I don't mean that. I mean like I, the fact that I physically survived adolescence is in and of itself a miracle. So I grew up, and every summer we would go to our family's cottage uh, off Lake Superior, and it was just this beautiful rocks and cliffs, and I would do cliff diving and cliff climbing, and it was the most dangerous thing you could possibly imagine. And at that time, somehow I survived it, right? And in fact, and I'm about to jinx myself here, so you can all be the witness to this, I've never broken a bone, uh, which again, for me, is mind-boggling, given how I acted as a kid. But when I think through different games I used to play and like started to like rank them in danger, there was one game that looking back on it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we thought this was a good, I can't believe my parents let me do this. Did any of you guys ever play King of the Hill growing up? Right? And I think part of the reason why we love King of the Hill is because you both get to interact with people, you get to exert a little physical strength, and all you need is a hill. Right? So the whole premise of King of the Hill is that you get a group of kids and only one person can be on top of the hill. Now, this isn't a game where you talk to one another and decide who should be at the top of the hill. No, there is no dialogue here. There isn't even a friendly competition. What do you do? You grab hold of people and throw them down the hill. Right? This is a horrible game to let children play when you really think about it because this is not what we want to teach our youth. Like, this is how you should behave in society, right? And yet, when you think about it, that's kind of how society operates, right? We play this zero-sum game that, for me to be ahead, means everyone else has to be below me. And as we talk about Palm Sunday, as we talk about what kind of king that we have, it's that king-of-the-hill mentality that really is the difference between this God who comes and loves us and what the world thinks it wants in a king, right? 
And the history of this story, the history of Palm Sunday, is that the nation of Israel had been waiting on their king. They had been waiting on a God who the Old Testament had promised. And he said, one day, through the lineage of David, I'm going to send a new king. And there were all types of promises that were attached to this new king. But what ended up happening was they started to, for lack of a better word, build their own king by picking and choosing different Bible verses. And so they would take verses that were more established, more built, um, to highlight different aspects of who God was going to be and what kind of king they wanted. So a really good example of this comes from Isaiah 49. This is what the sovereign Lord says, See, I will beckon to the nations. I will lift up my banner to the people's. They will bring your sons in their arms and carry your daughters on their hips. Kings will be your foster fathers and queens your nursing mothers. They will bow down before you with their faces to the ground. They will lick the dust at your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. But that idea of they will lick the dust at your feet. You see, what had happened in Israel was they had been long past their glory days. Israel was never a huge country, but at one point, they were a very wealthy country. They had palaces that kings and queens from all over the world would come and visit. They had knowledge. The Proverbs were renowned. And for a couple of centuries, they did really well. But then they rebelled against God. And in that rebellion, there was punishment. And so their nation started to crumble, and they were no longer this gem of a nation. No, in fact, the Romans had come, and before the Romans, the Assyrians had come, and before the Assyrians, the Babylonians had come. And again and again and again, they had been under subjugation of another nation. Now it was the Romans' turn. And so they were waiting for a king, and they really liked this idea that they were going to lick the dust at our feet. They wanted a king who was going to show up, who was going to kick the doors in, who was going to give them back their former glory. And so they began to, like I said, build their own king that they were looking for. The problem is, is that when you just take one or two Bible verses out of context, this is a good lesson for all of us, when all of a sudden God doesn't like all the same people that you don't like, when all of a sudden God in the mirror looks just like you look like in the mirror, when we start to build our own king, we start to build our own God. Because there were other sections of Scripture that talked about this. And this is where Palm Sunday comes from. This is why they reference that Zechariah verse. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of donkey. I will take away the chariots and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. This king doesn't come to kick in teeth. This king doesn't come in to take names. This king destroys the chariots, the tanks. He destroys the battle bows, the guns for war. He says, I'm coming for peace. But that isn't exactly what the Israelites wanted. In fact, as Christians, that often isn't what we want. 
We want to be right. We want to be at the top of the hill. And what's interesting historically, as Jesus is coming in, riding on the foal of a donkey, Pilate's riding in too. See, this takes place during Passover. This is the largest religious festival of the year. And at that time, people from all over Israel would come to Jerusalem and they would worship. And think about this if you're an occupying power. You're outnumbered in that city, right? There were more Romans than there were Israelites in the world, but certainly not within the country. So all of a sudden, the people of the country outnumber by a lot the occupying force. And so what does the occupying force do? Well, every year during Passover, Pilate would make a show. He would have a military parade, and he would march his troops into Jerusalem. And they'd have this massive war eagle on their banner. And it was to remind them, we are the biggest military. We have the strongest king, and you are subjects of Rome. Pilate comes in with all the bells and whistles. And then this Jesus guy, the king they had been waiting for, rolls up on a donkey? And in that, we begin to understand why four days after the whole city is praising, hail the son of David, our Messiah, this king we've been waiting for, to actually we don't want that kind of king. And in fact, we'll go so far as to stop that king that we will arrest him, we will falsely accuse him, we will beat him, and then we will kill him because they didn't want that type of king. The irony is they thought they wanted Pilate. They thought they wanted strength. They thought they wanted power. But 2,000 years later, the only reason we talk about Pilate is to reference him to Jesus. The only reason his name is still in the history books is because of how his kingdom relates to Jesus' kingdom. 2,000 years later, the kingdom of God, our king is still on the throne, but Caesar's gone, and the country that took after that is gone, and the country that took over after that is gone. Every 200 years, we just keep spinning the wheel, and yet Jesus now reigns. And that starts to reflect onto this Beatitude series we're in. So Jesus starts his ministry by saying, blessed are, and his blessings don't look anything like the world's blessings. And yet, as we look through the story of Jesus, we see how he reflects those blessings in his life and what that looks like. And so in Matthew, it says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. No better scripture exemplifies blessed are the meek than the king of the universe, the God who created everything showing up on a donkey to make it perfectly clear, I am here to be gentle. I am a different kind of king. You don't have to be scared of me. And I have a different kind of kingdom, a different kind of reign in mind than you think. We don't have to play king of the hill anymore. I don't have to throw you down the hill anymore. It says, I've got a different plan in mind. And then it says, for they will inherit the earth. 
Well, 2,000 years later, Jesus has still inherited the earth. His kingdom is coming here in North Austin and all across the world, and he's inviting us to be a part of that. Because the trick of this is when we think meek, we think weak. But that's not what the word means. Meekness just means a gentleness of spirit. Because you can be big and gentle. Have you ever seen the Eichenhorst boys? They're all huge, right? They all look like linebackers. And yet, they are meek. They are gentle. That's why we love these huge guys that are just big teddy bears, right? It's not saying that we think you're weak. No, they, they got all kinds of muscle. And yet, it's under control. It's gentle. It's welcoming. And Jesus says, the gentle will inherit the earth. The gentle get to be a part of what God is doing. Which then connects to this idea, but blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Righteousness means the world in right standing with God. The last three weeks, Austin got a very clear picture that the world is not in right standing. For three weeks, we hungered and thirst for righteousness as bombs were being delivered in the form of packages, right? We all experienced that. This isn't right. This isn't good. God, please fix this. And it took some time, but God fixed it. And here's an area that I want to be very clear, because I'm going to make a clear distinction between how God set up guardrails for the world to protect us, to seek justice, and how as Christians we live this out, right? So this first part, I'm going to read this verse from Romans. It says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except which God established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who will do so will bring judgment on themselves. For the rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to be punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of the possible punishment, but because it is a matter of conscience. What scripture tells us is that we live in a broken world. And left to our own devices, we will kill each other off. And so God set up governments, God set up rules, God set up the police and the military to protect humanity from its own inclination to blow itself up, right? And so police officers and military, we pray for them. In fact, we thank God for them because according to Scripture, They are God's agents here on earth to help protect us, right? And they seek righteousness. They seek justice. And so as a society, we have these people that it's a God-given job to help protect us, and that is good. That said, when we talk about how we live this out as Christians, as individuals, we sometimes fall into this mindset of, Well, we just got to round up all the bad guys. We as Christians, as men and women, strong men and women, we're going to take care of this. Growing up, I would go through phases of genre musics, and there was a phase of country music that I was jamming really hard on Toby Keith. And he had a song that I used to like. So we're going to do sing-along with Uncle Josh. (laughs) 
grandpappy told my back, pappy back in my day, son, a man had to answer for the wicked that he'd done. Take up all the rope in Texas, find a tall oak tree, round up all of them bad boys, hang them high in the street for all the people to see. Because justice is the one thing that you should always find. You've got to saddle up your boys. You've got to draw hard lines. When the gun smoke settles, we'll sing a victory tune, and we'll all meet back at the local saloon. We'll raise up our glasses against evil forces, singing, whiskey for my men, before my horses. Right? And I used to love that song just because it talked about whiskey, and I'm like, woo! But more than that, it's this concept that we're supposed to rise up. That this hunger and thirsting for righteousness and for justice means that we're supposed to go get a group and take care of ourselves. That we're going to play by the world's rules to take care of a situation. And yet what we find in the story of Jesus is a God who could have come in and said, yep, we're going to hang up all them bad boys. The problem was we were all bad boys. The problem is we had all sinned. The problem is we had all fallen short of what we were supposed to do. And so instead of rolling up and saying, yeah, I'm just going to clean house, we have a king who shows up and says, I am going to hunger and thirst for God's justice, God's righteousness. But instead of making my children, my family pay the punishment, I'm going to pay it for them. And then he says, now as sons and daughters of God, I want you to bring that same love that same compassion, that same meekness, that gentleness of spirit. And I want you to pay that forward. 2 Corinthians 5 says, All this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We therefore are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled, Scripture says. Because of the work of Jesus, because we have a king who will go to any lengths to have a relationship with us, even dying on a cross, We then become God's ambassadors as we go. He makes his appeal through us as we enter the city the same way he did. Because there are two ways to enter one, right? We can try to be like Pilate. We can say, I'm going to get the world's strength, I'm going to get the world's money, and I'm going to make you submit. Or we enter the city like Christ. Meek. Humble willing to serve, willing to sacrifice, hungering and thirsting for God's will to be done in North Austin and in the world, but not done by the world's methods. Done through grace. Done through the gospel. How do we lean in? What does it look like? We find the areas that it's obvious that it isn't righteous, it's not in right standing with God. And we bring justice by bringing Jesus. 
we bring God's righteousness by paying forward the love he's poured into us, into our communities, into our families, into our schools. And through that, we show up. Because that's what this is about, showing up. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. That's a big inheritance. That's not like a small, like, oh yeah, I got a cabin, got my dad's old car, right? No, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We inherit the earth. We see God's kingdom come, his will be done, here on earth as it is in heaven. When we show up and we bring Jesus, when we enter a conversation the way that Jesus entered conversations, when we entered brokenness the way that Jesus entered brokenness, not throwing stones, but by being ambassadors of God's love. God is reconciling this world back to him. And we get to be a part of it. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you thankful, humbled, and broken. Lord, we, like the people, want to build our own kind of God, our own kind of king, a king who thinks that we're the best, a king that wants us to be above others. And yet, Father, we thank you for being a God who even in our rebellion, forgives us, teaches us, who lived out the command, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you must become a servant of all. Father, Lord, we thank you for being a servant who is willing to forgive and is willing to pay for that forgiveness. Lord, we pray that we can pay that love and grace forward into our communities. Say that song in your son's precious name. Amen. The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com.